Good afternoon. Welcome to my talk. Today I'll talk about uh, the concept of tensors as an algorithmic concept, how we can incorporate it in a range of machine learning algorithms. In particular, I'll focus on the concept of topic modeling as well as deep learning and show how you can utilize these algorithms on the newly launched Amazon SageMaker framework. So machine learning is now pervasive. It's in so many domains. Uh, the most popular one is perhaps uh, in the field of computer vision, uh, where you want to understand what's in the images. Right? So if you go to the recognition uh, API, you can get um, different tags on the various objects in an image. Similarly, if you want to understand the content in text documents, we have now the newly launched Comprehend service that talks about understanding text. And one of the services available as of today is topic detection. So what I have here as an example is a New York Times article. So it's talking about high-tech industry, it's talking about politics, right? And there is a detailed article. And what you would like out of this are, what are the particular topics in this document? And so you expect the output to be something like this. You know, this document is talking about government, so you see particular words that are representative of the government topic, like Congress, federal government, Washington, and so on. You also see information technology being represented in this document through words such as online, internet, and so on. Politics, you can think of as another topic because there's reference to Democrats and Republicans. So you expect an output that is rich in detail on what each document talks about, as well as what are the representative words of the various topics covered in this document. And so I'll cover today on how we can solve this task efficiently and how you can access this algorithm on the Amazon SageMaker framework. So when it comes to solving various machine learning tasks, we need a trinity, right? So we first need the algorithms, but it's also important to have data and compute infrastructure. Without any one of these ingredients, machine learning would fail. And AWS has been at the forefront of providing solutions on all these three aspects. You can get data annotated through Amazon Mechanical Turk, it's one of the oldest services. And when it comes to compute infrastructure, we give you a range of options, right? So you can also see different uh, tiered uh, framework of uh, accessing uh, AWS. At the lowest level are uh, the GPUs and CPU instances, as well as the new IoT framework called Greengrass we launched and the mobile frameworks. So that's the infrastructure level. And with this, uh, depending on your task, depending on uh, what the cost requirements are, you can either go with the latest uh, GPU instances like the P3 instances, as well as the CPU instances like the C5 instances, uh, which have a good trade-off between cost and speed. 
So about the infrastructure are the frameworks. So we need efficient frameworks for writing our algorithms. And especially with deep learning, we have a very complex neural network architectures that need to be written. And AWS offers a whole choice of uh, popular open source uh, deep learning frameworks, including Apache MXNet and Gluon, which we are actively supporting and developing on. And you can access all these frameworks with the AWS Deep Learning Army. So a level above the frameworks are the platform services. Uh, you saw the announcement today on AWS DeepLens, that's the platform for cameras, and Amazon SageMaker, uh, which is the platform for machine learning. So I'll focus on how SageMaker makes it easy and convenient to launch various machine learning jobs. A level above the platforms are the managed application services. So here, you know, machine learning is already done for you, so you can directly access the result of the machine learning algorithms. And there are domain-specific application services. There is recognition for computer vision. For speech, there is poly, which is text-to-speech, and transcribe, which is speech-to-text. And with languages, we have the newly launched service Comprehend, which does text analytics, translation, as well as Lex. So as you can see, uh, there have been a lot of exciting announcements today, and uh, AWS offers a range of solutions for machine learning. So as I mentioned, uh, Comprehend is a managed service for text, and you can get a range of uh, text analytics, including uh, named entity recognition, sentiment analysis, key phrase extraction, and topic modeling. And I will show how you can utilize topic modeling and what are some uh, algorithmic intuitions behind how to solve topic modeling. So as I said, SageMaker is a serverless framework uh, for machine learning. You can now access it through the AWS console. And uh, you'll, this is the screenshot where you'll see that you can create notebook instances you can view various uh, training jobs that you've launched, and you can have all your pre-trained models stored in one location. And you can launch endpoints to do inference based on those trained models. And so it offers this end-to-end -end, uh, framework for machine learning. So it's arguably the quickest and the easiest way to do machine learning in AWS to take it from conception to production. And uh, it's flexible, and uh, you pay by the second. So this is uh, very easy to get started on uh, machine learning. And within SageMaker, we have a range of first-party algorithms. So these are algorithms we've uh, extensively developed and tested and made sure that they meet strong performance benchmarks. Uh, they are much faster uh, than existing open source frameworks, they are, and hence they are cheaper to run on AWS. So you have the classic algorithms such as uh, linear classification and regression, as well as XGBoost and factorization machines. So we have um, unsupervised learning 
K-means is the popular algorithm for clustering. Uh, PCA, or principal component analysis, does dimensionality reduction. We also have um, image classification uh, with uh, convolutional neural network models. So various neural network architectures from the MXNet framework, as well as other frameworks, are available and ready to use on SageMaker. And lastly, I'll be covering more in detail topic modeling, how we can utilize LDA, which stands for latent Dirichlet allocation model, as well as NTM, the neural topic modeling framework um, within SageMaker. And so the benefit of having these uh, first-party algorithms is that they are highly efficient and ready to use in production. So this is the page for uh, LDA. Um, I will uh, you know, give the example in detail. I just wanted to show the screenshot. So let me now talk about what uh, LDA topic models uh, you know, what the inspiration is and how it's applicable for uh, document categorization. So as I showed in the example before, the task is given any document, we should be able to automatically infer what the topics are, right? So the input to the algorithm is the document. In particular, it's like, what are the words that are occurring in this document? And given those statistics, can I automatically infer what are the set of topics? So I should have output that looks like this, right? List what are the topics in this document, with what proportion these topics occur in this document, and what are the words that represent these topics strongly. So that's the kind of result I'm expecting from a topic model. So what's the challenge with topic model? So topic models are what are known as unsupervised learning uh, algorithms uh, because they don't use label data. So the input to the topic modeling algorithm will have no labels, right? Will not have a document with all these labels shown like this. And that's because it's very manually uh, expensive to annotate an entire long document, right? In fact, lots of such documents to get such annotations. And hence, all the algorithm sees is an input that consists of documents, but having no labels. And so in this case, how do we automatically infer topics in the document? As you can see, another challenge is that there are multiple topics in the document, and this adds an additional challenge. So as we are aware, uh, when it comes to machine learning algorithms, there are two broad categories. Uh, there is the framework of unsupervised learning, like the topic modeling, where the input has no labels, right? And the output is we want to uh, come up with a model or an explanation of what the data is about. The more uh, popular framework is the supervised learning, where the input samples have labels. And unsupervised learning is considered one of the hardest challenges in machine learning. And this is what makes uh, even document categorization a challenging task um, relatively. So the most 
popular form of unsupervised learning is clustering. So in this case, as shown in the picture, what you would like to do is classify each of your input data point into a unique cluster, right? So in the context of uh, topic modeling, you consider each document and you want to classify it into single topic. But as we saw earlier, this is gonna be very limiting because most text documents don't have a single topic, they can have multiple topics. So you have these uh, topics that uh, can incorporate uh, words that are overlapping and documents that can incorporate multiple topics. And that's why a simple clustering model using the k-means algorithm is usually not effective when you want to classify documents, when you want to understand what are the topics in a document. So we need to go beyond clustering. And that's where the LDA, or the latent Dirichlet allocation model, comes into picture. So what it models the document as is a mixture of topics. So on the right here, the picture you see, you're seeing this histogram with uh, uh, different proportions of topics. So the yellow bar represents the topic justice for this document. And you know, as, as you can see, there is a stronger uh, con coverage of the topic justice in this document. So that's a, having a higher proportion. So there is a proportions of different topics covered in this document, and that's modeled by the variable at the top. And now, uh, to model how words occur in the document, what you do is you draw topics according to that proportion, and then draw individual words according to this uh, matrix that I've shown, which models the distribution of words under each topic. So intuitively, what's happening here is an explanation of how the frequency of words is a result of multiple topics occurring in the document. So this is able to incorporate multiple topics as well as the property that a word could occur in different topics, but the frequency of occurrence would be different. And hence, this is a much richer model compared to clustering. And so we have enabled LDA in SageMaker and uh, there are two separate stages, right? So we take the uh, corpus of documents, that's our input uh, training data, and we want to learn the LDA model. And so learning means that I'm learning this topic word matrix. So each column here represents the frequency of words under that topic. So suppose the document had only the topic, how would the frequency of words look like, right? But because the documents have multiple topics, it would be a mixture of these columns in the matrix. So that's the learning stage. Uh, we are learning this matrix that models how words would occur under various topics. And then the next stage is inference, where we take each of the documents and say what topics are occurring in this document, like the example that I showed before. And so we will proceed in both these stages. So now I'll show this uh, with a notebook demo 
You can access this uh, from GitHub. It's now available. Uh, and in addition, you will see other notebooks as well um, with respect to the first-party algorithms that I described earlier in the slide. So before I jump into the notebook demo, what I'll show here is a synthetic example. Uh, it's a visual example that makes it easier to see how the uh, LDA algorithm works uh, because you know, when it comes to real text data, uh, it's harder to understand the working of the algorithm. So we'll have the synthetic data generated uh, for this notebook demo. So what I'm showing here is a pictorial representation of the word frequency under each topic. So each of these uh, squares here represents one topic. So under the first topic, uh, the set of words that occur very frequently are the ones that are shown here. So each of these small square here represents a particular word in the vocabulary. So think of this word may be apple here, this word may be orange, this word may be banana, right? Just to uh, have an intuition. And so this first topic could represent fruits, and that's, uh, you know, so the mostly the words that occur in fruits are these uh, apple, orange, and banana, and so on. Um, whereas now you move to a different topic, say the topic here, the uh, words that occur in the document, if that was the only topic, would differ, right? And so for instance, this word could this topic could mean software, and so you would still have the occurrence of word apple, but then the other words that occur with it would be different. And that could be software, um, iPhone, or any of the other words, right? So intuitively, what I'm showing here is uh, with each topic, the words that occur in the document will change. And uh, what I'm showing is the heat map of the frequency of the word occurrence uh, for each of these topics. So we'll use this uh, distribution to generate our documents. So the way the documents are generated is we'll have a mixture of topics. So in this example here, uh, the topics that are mostly occurring are this topic seven and eight. And uh, uh, if you go back and notice what the seven and eight represents, it's mostly these horizontal bars here. And because these are the topics in this particular document, uh, the frequency of occurrence of words is mostly those two horizontal bars. So I hope pictorially you can see how uh, when there are multiple topics in a document, you have this overlap of frequency of word occurrences according to this topic word probability distribution. And so this pictorially conveys uh, the data generation according to this LDA topic model. And similarly, now you can um, generate different documents that contain different topics. So each uh, here uh, set of topics you see has a different distribution. So this is mostly the dominant topics in this document. In a different document, the topics uh, can be different. So this is how we generated the data, and what I'll show now is how to run the SageMaker LDA model with uh, this data generated and get 
and run through and see what we'll get. So this is the SageMaker console. Um, you can create notebook instances here. I will uh, go to the notebook that's already executed in the interest of time uh, because it does take some time to spin up a new notebook instance. And uh, this is also available, as I said uh, in the slide before, in the GitHub repository. And this is actually in the scientific details. So this is the detailed notebook if you want all the details of how the LDA model works and how to run it in SageMaker. So the first uh, initial aspect is importing various packages, including MXNet, uh, NumPy, and SageMaker, of course, and as well as some serializers for the data. And uh, yeah, so here you will say what the uh, S3 bucket you want it to be, where, to, where you store your trained model. So the LDA model is defined in detail here. I will skip that because I just described how we were generating the synthetic data for this example. And so this is, again, representing pictorially what I described earlier. So we'll skip the data generation part because I already described that. So when it comes to training, I will describe how tensor algorithms can uh, learn the LGA model, but let's now see how this is done on SageMaker. So as we said, uh, we want to load our training data into S3, and so you can you know, uh, prescribe where the training data lives. And also we are converting the generated synthetic data into the protobuf record I.O. format, and that's where the serializers are used. So the SageMaker algorithms run in Docker containers, and so this is the specification of the LDA containers uh, to run the training job. So the LDA algorithm has uh, some hyperparameters you want to specify. Uh, the, as you can expect, you want to say how many topics you want in your document corpus, right? Like what is the expected number of topics? And again, you can change this to different quantities and see how the results change. The other is the size of the vocabulary, like how big is your vocabulary size, uh, the number of training documents. So this alpha naught is an optional parameter, so in the beginning I would suggest not to think about it too much, because if you have an idea of how mixed are your documents, are your documents mostly about a single topic, or do they have lots of topics together, you can set and play with this parameter as well. And the other uh, settings are what kind of instance you want to run your SageMaker. So the currently LDA um, you know, is only on CPU instances, and uh, we recommend C4, and also ultimately C5 when that becomes available, because these are compute-heavy jobs. And so now uh, we can create a SageMaker client and uh, create the training job. And so, you know, everything, we are gathering all what we specified here. We are specifying the output path of where the uh, trained model should be stored. That is, so the instance count is one and what instance type. 
and all the hyperparameters are set here. And so when you do LDA.fit, you run the training job. So there is a very highly verbose output. So, you know, I will skip that. And when the training job is successful, it says the job is complete. And so now the uh, trained model is stored in the S3 bucket that we specified. So we can now download it from the S3 bucket, uh, the model that we uh, obtained from training. And uh, so there is a code snippet to now analyze what the model has done, right? What the training has done. Um, so if you recall, uh, we generated data with the synthetic example. And so we can go back and verify how uh, accurate are the uh, parameters that are estimated by the algorithm. And uh, so the, because this is unsupervised learning, the topics that are estimated by the algorithm need not be in the same order as the one that we generated it with. And so there is some uh, code snippet that permutes it uh, to see how, what is the closest match. And you can see here from the figure that um, the uh, topic word probability with which the uh, words documents were generated and the one that's estimated by the SageMaker algorithm are nearly identical. So we can also say how much the error was in estimating these parameters. So this is a sanity check to make sure that at least in the case of synthetic data, uh, we have the right model that's recovered uh, by the algorithm. So the next step, as I said, is inference, right? Once you have a model of uh, how uh, documents are generated uh, with respect to various frequency of words under topics, uh, you want to do inference on all the documents. So you want to say what are the topics in each document. And so this is where uh, we have this now function called LDA.deploy that will uh, deploy the LDA inference. And again, we can specify what instance type. And um, so we can pass different kinds of data formats uh, to the inference endpoint. So these are formats in, uh, in terms of uh, how we encode the frequencies of words in each document. And so here uh, we are gonna use the CSV formatted data, although you have other options like JSON and Record.io. And so it's just doing that conversion. And so now if you do LDA inference.predict, and this is the set of documents on which you want to do the topic detection, you will get this result. Again, it's verbose, but it is you know, formatted according to this, right? So it's saying like under each document, what is the mixture of topics, right? So you can get the entire proportion of topics in each document. So after some uh, you know, simple uh, plotting uh, code, you can see here, again, a sanity check that uh, the blue was the original topics with which the document was generated, and the orange is the one that's estimated by the algorithm. So that's, orange is the result of the inference algorithm. And you can see here that uh, it's pretty close uh, to the uh, 
with respect to the topics which were generating the document. And so this notebook gives you a sanity check that if you generated data synthetically according to an LDA model, this algorithm recovers uh, both the, the topic word probability distribution as well as uh, infers topics on each document pretty accurately. So the notebook has much more detailed analysis on what the errors are on different documents. Like you can have analysis of which documents had good accuracy of uh, inference and which ones did not. And finally, of course, you should close your endpoint uh, to finish the execution. Uh, there is also a brief um, discussion on how we go from synthetic data to text data, right? Because what I showed was a toy example, and now if you want to run this on uh, text data, you want to do some additional pre-processing, and uh, you know, that's described here, as well as there are a number of uh, papers that describe how to do it. So now I'll come back to... Uh, the slides and ask, you know, I showed like how to run the algorithm in SageMaker and also gave intuition of uh, how the LDA model incorporates mixtures of uh, topics into different documents. So now let's do performance analysis on real text data, right? Because that's where uh, we want this to be applicable. Of course, as a side comment, um, LDA model can also be applicable in other domains, uh, especially in genetic analysis, it's a pretty popular model. And with SageMaker, you can use it across different domains as well. But here, we've analyzed now performance with respect to uh, text data, and let's see, uh, let's do some deep dive. So first, I'll do some uh, qual qualitative analysis. See what are the recovered topics in various document corpuses, and what human interpretability does it have? You know, to us, can we think of these as uh, reasonable topics, or you know, are they not? So we took the New York Times uh, corpus. This is a popular open source corpus of about 300,000 documents, and uh, the top uh, topics that were recovered from this corpus are shown here. So what I'm showing is the word cloud corresponding to that topic. So these are the top representative words in that topic. So here you see one topic that covered sports, right? The dominant words are game, team, play, and so on. There's another word, there's another topic that covers business and so that's represented by company, percent, million, uh, stock, market, and so on. And this New York Times corpus, I think, uh, was between the 90s and 2000s. So you can see the politics there uh, covered uh, Bush and Al Gore. And so those were the dominant words. And of course, their lifestyle is another topic and the representative words you can see. So as you can see, there is good interpretability from these uh, topics. We can think of these as being reasonable uh, to uh, model documents. Another corpus that we utilized uh, is the PubMed corpus. Uh, 
the total corpus is about 8 million documents. And again, when we asked what are the top topics that we recover here, uh, they have uh, you know, these various categories. One is cancer, and uh, of course the uh, most dominant word, as you expect, is tumor. Uh, there is the public health uh, framework, so their children's system and data and population are some representative words. And we also have clinical trials. Uh, rat is the most common uh, animal that's used in clinical trials, so it's natural. That shows up uh, pretty significantly. And blood seems to be a popular category uh, with uh, concentration, plasma, um, you know, serum uh, being the representative words. So this PubMed uh, is the NIH repository for biology articles. So as you can uh, expect, uh, the topics uh, can be, you know, very much interpreted in that context. So we can also now go back and look at individual documents and ask uh, the topics that are recovered there, uh, are they reasonable? So this is the document that I showed in the beginning. And as we saw, uh, in this document, um, having government, information technology, and politics are very reasonable topics. Um, and the words that represent these topics uh, uh, you know, have a high human interpretability. I'll show another example. Uh, this is, again, a document uh, from the uh, 1999. And so this is talking about uh, the Super Bowl. So if a human were to read just the title, you would expect sports to be a category, right? But you see the algorithm did not recover sports as a category. Because if you read through the entire article, there's almost no discussion of the actual Super Bowl, right? So it's more an analysis of the business so there's talking about company, there is a consulting company, there is commercial, there's a chief executive being quoted. And uh, it's also talking about the information technology, like uh, internet, dot-com, websites. So there is uh, no discussion of sports in the document. And so the topic model is very useful in the analysis as opposed to the human just reading the title and trying to infer what's in the document. And so that's where we need automated algorithms that can analyze entire long documents and try to come up with uh, topic detection as opposed to manual labeling that only looks at keywords or uh, you know, very high level uh, title uh, to categorize. And so we can see this as well, one of the useful features of topic models. So let me now show some uh, quantitative uh, performance benchmarks, ask uh, how fast are these algorithms, how do they compare with other open source frameworks, and how can we measure the quality of uh, topics that are recovered. So the SageMaker LDA turns out to be much faster uh, than Mallet. Uh, that's the popular open source framework for topic modeling. We ran both of them on the SageMaker platform, so we can dockerize Mallet as well and run it on SageMaker along with uh, our algorithm. 
And so what you can see here on the New York Times corpus uh, with 300,000 documents, it was uh, up to 22 times faster compared uh, to Mallet in terms of the training time, like how fast it took to train the LDA model. And on the PubMed corpus, uh, uh, it was about 12x faster on average. So the PubMed uh, corpus only has abstracts, so they're very short articles as opposed to New York Times with very long articles. And so our SageMaker LDA will have advantage as the documents get longer. Uh, because that's where it can more efficiently aggregate information uh, compared to Mallet that doesn't have that efficiency. So once uh, you have a faster algorithm, this also translates to lower cost on AWS. Uh, I've just uh, changed now the y-axis from time to cost on the C4 ATX large instance, and you can see that... Uh, uh, it uh, translates proportionally. And so, indeed, like, there is uh, a very strong motivation for us to keep developing faster and more efficient algorithms uh, to transfer the benefit to our customers. So, as I said, uh, in SageMaker, the training and the inference are decoupled. So if you only want to train your model, uh, you can do that separately, and you can use a pre-trained model to run your inference and get topics on individual documents. So if you compare only the inference times, you can see that it is still competitive compared to Mallet, up to 13x faster on New York Times and 3.5x faster on PubMed. And since Mallet does training and inference together, like, you know, there's no way to decouple uh, one from the other in Mallet, we also wanted to compare the join time. So where you do both training and inference together. And even there, you see that uh, ours is faster. In New York Times, it's up to 7x faster, and on PubMed, up to 2.5x faster. And so you can see that uh, uh, there is uh, an advantage in terms of running times both with training inference or joint training and inference with SageMaker LDA. So this is great. We have a fast algorithm, but is this a good algorithm, right? Does this give good quality topics? So I showed you earlier qualitative results showing that the topics that we recovered are interpretable, but we also want a quantifiable measure. And this is actually challenging for uh, unsupervised learning uh, because it's not clear what is the right metric to measure. And with respect to topic models, uh, researchers have argued that this score known as pairwise mutual information is a very reasonable one. And it closely correlates with how humans judge as good quality topics. And we see here either we beat or match Mallet in terms of uh, topic quality as well. So in summary, we have faster algorithm uh, at the same time have competitive topic quality. So we have best of both the worlds with this HMaker LDA algorithm. So as I said, on SageMaker, we have a variety of options uh, for first-party algorithms, and another one is the neural topic modeling. So I won't get into the details here, um, 
Uh, in this case, you have a neural network uh, to incorporate your topic model. Uh, in general, the training here tends to be much slower than the LDA topic model. Uh, but inference tends to be faster because it's just passing through the neural network. So depending on what your trade-offs are, you can try either one of them and see which one best fits your needs. So now I want to take some time and do a science deep dive and give some intuitions into what algorithms have gone into building the SageMaker LDA algorithm. And that incorporates tensors. So this is a cartoon diagram of uh, what tensors are, right? So, you know, tensors represent higher dimensional objects. So, you know, the zero-dimensional object is the scalar, which is a single point. Uh, vector is one-dimensional. If you have a matrix, that's two-dimensional. And now a tensor is a three- or higher-dimensional object. And so how can we incorporate tensors into learning the LDA algorithm? So if you recall, the LDA algorithm incorporated uh, this uh, topic word matrix, right? So you wanted to learn the distribution of uh, words under each topic. And so the intuition is we will now utilize co-occurrence of words to learn this topic word matrix. So intuitively, if uh, multiple words co-occur together, that's a higher amount of information to represent a topic. And we utilize triplets of words, so that becomes a third-order tensor. So you collect every triplet of words, and you ask, how many times did this occur together in my document corpus? And so using those statistics, you can do a decomposition, and you can recover the columns of this topic word matrix. I won't get into the technical details. There are research papers uh, uh, that I have uh, published in this regard. Uh, but the intuition is you, what it does is it extends matrix decomposition methods to tensors. So I think all of you are familiar with linear algebra operations, in particular singular value decomposition. So what you do there is you take a matrix and you decompose it into its low rank components. And we can now extend the same to tensors so you can now take third-order or higher-order tensors and find decomposition into low-rank components. And in the context of topic model, if we take the co-occurrence tensor, so we are taking every triplet of words and calculating how many times it occurred together in the document corpus, and if we do that decomposition, each low-rank component, each rank one component, corresponds to one of the topics. So the intuition is you can recover topics by doing this tensor decomposition. So why should we do this tensor decomposition? Right? I mean, tensors seem much, more, um, much harder to understand compared to matrices. So why should we go to tensors? So it turns out uh, one is due to statistical reasons. So you need tensors as you incorporate higher-order relationships in your data. So if you only wanted to record pairwise co-occurrences 
in our document corpus, we could have used a matrix. But if we want to record co-occurrences among triplets, that's where we need tensors. And so we can incorporate these higher-order relationships uh, through tensors. And the second reason is you need to go to these higher-order relationships. If you only use pairwise co-occurrence statistics, that does not reveal what the topics are. So this has to do with some deep mathematical reason on uh, how matrix decomposition differs from the tensor. Sorry about that. So the when you decompose a matrix, the algebraic properties are very different from when you decompose a tensor. And there have been extensive uh, works published in that regard. Uh, but intuitively, you need these higher-order statistics. Without it, you cannot discover what the underlying topics are. So that's the statistical reason. The other one is computational. So as we saw from our performance benchmarks, these lead to much faster algorithms. And the underlying reason is because tensor algebra is easily parallelizable like linear algebra. So I've been uh, doing extensive research on how to incorporate uh, faster and parallelizable operations when it comes to manipulating tensors. And um, you can build new primitives, you can extend blast kernels to make them highly efficient. So, you know, whenever the foundation is linear algebra, we can build on top uh, very efficient algorithms. And so that's what makes uh, the use of tensor algorithms in SageMaker LDA much faster than other algorithms. And we also saw that this led to a decoupling between training and inference. So this is flexible uh, compared to other LDA algorithms where training and inference are coupled together. And uh, if you're interested in the details of the theory on you know, why tensors and how tensor decompositions help discover the topics, you can refer to my paper. In fact, in theory, it's guaranteed to recover the correct model. So, so that's kind of the um, overall set of uh, intuitions on how uh, tensors are helpful in uh, giving us very fast algorithms uh, for LDA and at the same time having good topic quality. So now I want to spend a bit of time also asking how we can utilize the concept of tensors in other frameworks, including deep learning. So far, what we saw was how tensors are useful in uh, incorporating uh, the LDA model, and it incorporates higher-order statistics there and helps us efficiently recover the topics. So what other contexts are uh, useful to incorporate tensors? And indeed, since deep learning has uh, shown very impressive performance across multiple domains, a natural thought is, can we incorporate tensor operations into our deep learning architectures? So if you think about most deep learning architectures, those involve linear algebra operations, right? They involve matrix operations. And so now, how can we turn them into tensor operations how can we exploit multiple dimensions together in these architectures? And so this is what I want to spend the remaining time talking about. 
So this is a very uh, popular architecture uh, for computer vision where you input the image, you send it through various convolutional layers, right? So with the convolutional layers, uh, what you're doing is uh, you're sending it through various filters, so you're uh, increasing the number of channels as you go from one layer to the next. And the spatial pooling means that you're reducing the dimensionality of uh, uh, your input. Uh, but on the other hand, once you get to the fully connected layers, you're vectorizing uh, yeah, the activations and sending it through a matrix product operation and applying some nonlinearity and in the very end coming up with the output of what object categories are present in these images. So this is the standard deep learning network. And so what we did was to ask, you know, can we incorporate the tensor structure throughout the architecture? So meaning we can incorporate the 3D structure all the way to the end. And uh, one way to do it is to incorporate what are known as tensor contractions. So we don't destroy this three-dimensional information even as we're sending it through the fully connected layers. And even in the last layer, we do a tensor regression. So without going into details, what this accomplishes is to retain the 3D information throughout the network. Right, so now we can ask, okay, how is this beneficial? What advantage does this give me? It turns out that this can lead to much more compact networks. If you count the number of parameters uh, in the fully connected layers, you can reduce the number of parameters by a huge amount without reducing the accuracy. So you can have faster, more compact networks by incorporating tensors into the deep learning architectures. So this was one use of how tensors can now retain the three-dimensional information that would have been lost if, in the, if you did matrix operations like in the traditional architectures. So another aspect where we apply tensors was for sequence modeling. So these are popular now in a variety of domains. Uh, the one we considered was forecasting meaning you have a bunch of input time series points and you want to forecast, you want to predict what would the next time points look like. And this is the standard recurrent neural network architecture. And so what we incorporated was now tensors into the hidden layer of these architectures. I won't go into the details, but these involve what are known as tensor train decompositions. And intuitively what they're doing is incorporating higher order statistics of the past for predicting the future. And now we can ask how are they useful, how are they better than standard RNN architectures? And what we found is it is much more effective for long-term forecasting. So in the traffic data set, what we want to predict is how the traffic changes in the next hour or next two hours, next four hours, and so on. So especially if you want to predict way into the future, it turns out that the tensor LSTM that incorporates tensors has much lower error compared to the standard architectures. And we did the same with climate data set and found the same. So tensors can more effectively incorporate higher order information from the past and help us do better long-term forecasting. 
So tensors can also incorporate multiple modalities. So if your input has different kinds of uh, data, right? So in this example, you have both the image and the text as input. We can now encode them more effectively using tensors. So in this example here, I've shown the task of visual question and answering, where you have an image, you have a question. So the question here is, what is the mustache made of? You expect the answer to be banana. And now the thing is, can the uh, deep learning system automatically come up with this answer? And uh, the magic sauce is this pooling, right? So how do we combine both the text and image features together to come up with an efficient way to answer the question? And so this is where we are developing frameworks that are involve what are known as tensor sketches that can incorporate the three-dimensional information that's present in image features, as well as the text information that's uh, extracted through LSTM or some of the sequence models and combine them very effectively. I'll skip the details here, uh, but intuitively tensors are natural structures to combine different modalities together because those can just add additional dimensions very seamlessly. So overall, you know, uh, through this, I wanted to give up an idea of different operations and uh, uh, the use of tensors in different kinds of uh, neural network architectures. And we've been uh, building them into a framework called Tensorly. It's an open source framework uh, that was developed by John Kosafi, who also interned with our group. And it's now uh, has an active uh, developer community. And this has multiple backends. So you started with NumPy, but now for scalability, you can use MXNet or PyTorch. And the benefit is you can combine it with deep learning. So it is very easy to define the neural network architectures that I described using Tensorly, because you can describe tensor operations uh, that are built into this framework, and you can describe your usual deep learning uh, operations using MXNet or PyTorch and put the two together and train end-to-end. -end. And uh, so I encourage you to check out. There are also ex example notebooks available in the repository that you can run and uh, develop further. So I want to conclude. Uh, I you know, had several themes uh, in this talk. The first one was on AWS StageMaker. We are very excited uh, with the launch. We believe that this will be the quickest and the easiest way for uh, data scientists to do machine learning on AWS. Uh, it's a serverless framework. It's uh, easy to deploy. I showed you notebooks that are where you can easily launch various machine learning jobs. And also we have an extensive array of uh, first-party algorithms that we've extensively developed and tested and benchmarked. And uh, the explanations of those algorithms are present in the notebooks. So in particular, I talked about the topic modeling. So topic modeling is the unsupervised framework for automatically categorizing documents. You know, tagging each document with a set of topics, as well as tagging each topic with representative words uh, you know, for each topic.
And we saw that uh, the LDA algorithm in SageMaker is much faster and hence cheaper compared to other open source frameworks like Mallet and Spark. And at the same time, we also saw that there is good topic quality, both from a human interpretability angle, as well as through the pairwise mutual information measure. And so lastly, I also did a deep dive on how tensors are applicable for learning the LDA model. Intuitively, if you want to look at higher order relationships of words co-occurring in documents, you want to use tensors. And the statistic we used was uh, the third order co-occurrence. That is, how do triplets of words co-occur in documents? And decomposing that tensor uh, leads to a fast algorithm for LDA. And lastly, uh, in the last section, I showed some uh, quick examples of how you can utilize tensors in various deep learning contexts. You can use it uh, to retain the 3D structure in your convolutional models. You can use it for long-term forecasting in sequence models. Uh, you can use it for incorporating multiple modalities, such as in visual question and answering. And uh, there's also the Tensorly open source package that allows you to easily express these tensor functions and combine them with deep, deep neural network training. So I want to stop my talk here and thank you. <laughs>